Section 59 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Luke, Volume 1, by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. Christ's steady adherence to his great work. Unholy zeal of James and John reproved. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and they went, and entered into a village of the Samaritans, to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did. But he turned and rebuked them, and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Let us notice in these verses the steady determination with which our Lord Jesus Christ regarded his own crucifixion and death. We read that, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew full well what was before him. The betrayal, the unjust trial, the mockery, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the spitting, the nails, the spear, the agony on the cross. All, all were doubtless spread before his mind's eye, like a picture but he never flinched for a moment from the work that he had undertaken. His heart was set on paying the price of our redemption, and going even to the prison of the grave as our surety. He was full of tender love towards sinners. It was the desire of his whole soul to procure for them salvation, and so, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 Forever let us bless God that we have such a ready and willing Saviour. Forever let us remember that as He was ready to suffer, so He is always ready to save. The man that comes to Christ by faith should never doubt Christ's willingness to receive Him. The mere fact that the Son of God willingly came into the world to die, and willingly suffered, should silence such doubts entirely. All the unwillingness is on the part of man, not of Christ. It consists in the ignorance, and pride, and unbelief, and half-heartedness of the sinner himself, but there is nothing wanting in Christ. Let us strive and pray that the same mind may be in us which was in our blessed Master. Like Him, let us be willing to go anywhere, do anything, suffer anything, when the path of duty is clear and the voice of God calls. Let us set our faces steadfastly to our work, when our work is plainly marked out, and drink our bitter cups patiently, when they come from a Father's hand. Let us notice, secondly, in these verses, the extraordinary conduct of two of the apostles, James and John. We are told that a certain Samaritan village refused to show hospitality to our Lord. They did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, and then we read of a strange proposal which James and John made. They said, Lord, 
wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as elias did here was zeal indeed and zeal of a most plausible kind zeal for the honour of christ here was zeal justified and supported by a scriptural example and that the example of no less a prophet than elijah but it was not a zeal according to knowledge the two disciples in their heat forgot that circumstances alter cases and that the same action which may be right and justifiable at one time may be wrong and unjustifiable at another they forgot that punishments should always be proportioned to offences and that to destroy a whole village of ignorant people for a single act of discourtesy would have been both unjust and cruel in short the proposal of james and john was a wrong and inconsiderate one they meant well but they greatly erred facts like this in the gospels are carefully recorded for our learning let us see to it that we mark them well and treasure them up in our minds it is possible to have much zeal for christ and yet to exhibit in it most unholy and unchristian ways it is possible to mean well and have good intentions and yet to make most grievous mistakes in our actions it is possible to fancy that we have scripture on our side and to support our conduct by scriptural quotations and yet to commit serious errors it is clear as daylight from this and other cases related in the bible that it is not enough to be zealous and well-meaning very grave faults are frequently committed with good intentions from no quarter perhaps has the church received so much injury as from ignorant but well-meaning men we must seek to have knowledge as well as zeal zeal without knowledge is an army without a general and a ship without a rudder we must pray that we may understand how to make a right application of scripture the word is no doubt a light to our feet and a lantern to our path but it must be the word rightly handled and properly applied let us notice lastly in these verses what a solemn rebuke our lord gives to persecution carried on under color of religion we are told that when james and john made the strange proposal on which we have just been dwelling he turned and rebuked them and said ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them uncourteous as the samaritan villagers had been their conduct was not to be resented by violence the mission of the son of man was to do good when men would receive him but never to do harm his kingdom was to be extended by patient continuance in well-doing and by meekness and gentleness in suffering but never by violence and severity no saying of our lord's perhaps has been so totally overlooked by the church of christ as that which is now before us nothing can be imagined more contrary to the will of christ than the religious wars and persecutions which disgrace the annals of church history thousands and tens of thousands have been put to death for their religion's sake all over the world thousands have been burned or shot or hanged or drowned or beheaded in the name of the gospel and those who have slain them have actually believed that they were doing god a service unhappily they have only shown their own ignorance of the spirit of the gospel and the mind of christ let it be a settled principle in our minds 
that whatever men's errors may be in religion, we must never persecute them. Let us, if needful, argue with them, reason with them, and try to show them a more excellent way. But let us never take up the carnal weapon to promote the spread of truth. Let us never be tempted, directly or indirectly, to persecute any man, under pretense of the glory of Christ and the good of the church. Let us rather remember that the religion which men profess from fear of death, or dread of penalties, is worth nothing at all, and that if we swell our ranks by fear and threatening, in reality we gain no strength. The weapons of our warfare, says St. Paul, are not carnal. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 the appeals that we make must be to men's consciences and wills. The arguments that we use must not be sword, or fire, or prison, but doctrines, and precepts, and texts. It is a quaint and homely saying, but as true in the church as it is in the army, that one volunteer is worth ten pressed men. Notes, Luke chapter 11, verses 51 to 56. Verse 51. The time that he should be received up. The Greek word so translated is peculiar, and is only found here in the New Testament. It would be rendered more literally, the days of his reception up. About the meaning of the expression there is a curious difference of opinion. Some think, with Hiensius and Hammond, that the meaning is, the time of his death and being lifted upon the cross. Others think, with Susser and Bengal, that the meaning is, the time of his ascension, or being taken up to heaven. This latter sense seems far the more probable of the two, and is confirmed by the fact that the Syriac and Arabic versions both render the word, his ascension. Besides this, the Greek verb, which is several times used to describe the ascension, is the very verb from which the word before us is derived. See Mark chapter 16 verse 19, Acts chapter 1 verse 2, chapter 11 verse 22. Verse 53. They did not receive him. The wretched state of feeling between the Samaritans and the Jews is painfully illustrated by the circumstances here mentioned. Charity was indeed well nigh extinct, where such a state of things existed. Those who wish to see the origin of the estrangement between the Jews and Samaritans should read Second Kings chapter 17 and Ezra chapter 4. Verse 54. His disciples... James and John, etc. There is something very remarkable in the spirit exhibited by these two disciples on this occasion. It shows us that it was not without good reason that our Lord called them Boanerges, or the sons of thunder, when he first ordained them to be apostles. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. It shows us also the gradually transforming power of the grace of God in John's character. Three times we have sins against charity recorded in the Gospels as committed by John. Once we find him and his brother asking to sit at Christ's right hand and left hand in his kingdom, and to be preferred before all the other apostles. Once we find him forbidding a man to cast out devils, because he did not follow the apostles. Here again we find him showing a fierce and cruel spirit against the Samaritan villagers for not receiving our Lord. Yet this was the apostle who proved, at the last, most remarkable for preaching love and charity. No change is too great for the Lord to work. Even as Elias did. Appeals to the Old Testament, like this, 
have often been made by fanatical men in order to justify violent actions. The case of Oliver Cromwell and many of his followers will naturally occur to some readers. The examples of men who were raised up to do special works in the times of the Old Testament must not be followed in all things. The man who presumes to imitate Joshua and Elijah in all their dealings with the enemies of God must furnish proof of his call and commission to walk in their steps. Verse 55. He turned and rebuked them, etc. Our Lord's entire disapproval of all persecution for religion's sake is very plainly taught in this passage. Whatever we may think of men's doctrines or practices, we are not to persecute them. Poole says, Christ did not approve of the Samaritan worship, yet he did not think that the way to change their minds was to call for fire from heaven against them. It is not the will of God that we should approve of any corrupt worship and join with those who use it. But neither is it his will that we should by fire and sword go about to suppress it and bring men off from it. Quesnel remarks, It often happens that the ministers of the church, under pretense of zeal for her interests, offend against Christian meekness. The church knows no such thing as revenge, and her ministers ought not to know it either. Their wrath should be incensed against sin, not against the sinner. The fire of heaven is one day to come down to purify the world by destruction. At present it comes down only to sanctify it by edification. What manner of spirits ye are of? The disciples were forgetting the nature of that spirit by whom they professed, as Christ's disciples, to be guided. They were forgetting that he was a spirit of love, and meekness, and gentleness, and that all acts of a revengeful and violent character were grievous to him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Their own master had taught them that if any man smote them on one cheek, they were to turn to him the other also. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. But all this for the time was forgotten. A fierce temper and a sense of injured dignity make men bad reasoners, and drive good instructions out of their memories. Bengal remarks that we should compare with the conduct of these two disciples the fact that when Jesus prayed on the cross, employing the very words of the 22nd and 31st Psalms, he did not pray against his enemies, but for them. It is an interesting fact that the Apostle John, at a later period in his life, came down to Samaria in a very different spirit. He came from Peter on a special mission from Jerusalem to confer spiritual blessings on Samaritan believers, and we are told that he preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. End of section 59.